that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the, wor- the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we, we need you. We acknowledge that you give us this gift of prayer because you want us to come to you with all of our needs. You also give us this gift of prayer that, that you work through prayer. When we pray, you answer our prayers. God, we come to you today and we, we need you in every way, Lord. We need you to illuminate our hearts, illuminate our minds, Lord. Lord, those, those areas where we are asleep in our Christian walk, would you wake us up, Lord? Those, those areas where... We need your word to penetrate our hearts and minds. Lord, we ask for you to do that. God, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, and in the areas around us, we pray that your word would go forth mightily and powerfully. And God, I pray that here in this church that that your word would be at work to transform hearts and, and minds and transform our lives and make us into your image. And can I pray that you would use this prayer and this morning, this passage that your apostle wrote by your direction. Can I pray that you would use this to, to powerfully work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what do you think is really needed in the world right now? How, how would you answer that question? Now, we're in church, so you're going to answer that in a churchy way. But, but, but what do you really think on a day-by-day basis, what do you think is really needed in the world right now? Hopefully, if you are a Christian, you will think the gospel is what is really needed. And that's true. That's right. It is good. And, and what we need is not just the gospel in us, but we need the gospel in the world. We need the gospel to grow in the world, and we need the gospel in us to grow. The Apostle Paul was aware that, that what was needed... What was needed in his ministry, what was needed in this church, was gospel growth. But he was also aware that that gospel growth only happens if if God gives that growth, if God enables that growth. And so he prays here. And he prays a very relatable prayer. He, in the middle of his commands, he's been commanding the church in Thessalonica. He's, he's written a letter to them in 1 Thessalonians. He's now written 2 Thessalonians. And when he says, finally, it's not as if he's finishing the letter. He's saying, so, in light of everything I've written pray because he realizes that prayer is needed that that the lord's activity is what is needed for our growth what we need is the lord's activity for gospel growth and so the apostle paul he writes to them as a brother he writes very lovingly and he writes asking for prayer and he says this is what i want from you Now, people might get a little worried whenever you hear a pastor say, this is what I want from you. Because some people, 
who claim to be pastors, they, they ask things that are unbiblical. They demand things that are unbiblical. They, they seem to be selfish, self-centered, self-focused, and Paul doesn't do that. He's, he's very relatable, relational, and he asks for them something very personal, and he says, would you pray? Pray for us. This is what I want. I want you to pray. Because he knows that in order for the gospel growth to take place, the kind of growth that, that will enable his ministry, the, the growth that the church needs, he knows that we need to pray for God's word to be effective. We need to pray for God's word to be effective. Do, do you know that? Do you, do you pray that way? Is that what you think of when you think of, what do we need in the world right now? We need gospel growth. What do we, we need in this church? We need gospel growth. What do we need? We, oh, we need God's word to be effective. And imagine if you were a Christian missionary and you went from town to town preaching the gospel, starting churches, and, and you encountered all kinds of adversity. You encountered all kinds of opposition. And, and imagine that you maybe you were beaten in one town, that you were put in jail in another town, that you were stoned and left for dead in another town, like the Apostle Paul. I wonder what you would pray for if the last town you were in, you were run out of for fear that your life would be taken from you. What do you think you would pray for? What do you think you would ask your close friends and your disciples for? What would be at the top of your prayer list? Maybe you'd pray for protection or for safety, or maybe you'd pray for provision, or that you might not undergo any opposition or persecution. What we have in the first two verses of this little passage is the Apostle Paul's prayer, and it's a little surprising because he says, pray for us, but then he doesn't seem to really ask about prayer for himself. He says, pray for us. And his prayer is very instructive. But his prayer is very mission-focused because he's aware of what's really needed. He's aware of what's really needed. He's not primarily concerned about himself. He's not primarily concerned about provision. He's not asking for things from them. He's asking for their prayer so that the gospel would, he says, speed ahead. Speed ahead and be honored. Now, that might sound a little strange, right? The gospel would speed ahead. What, what is meant when you think of the word speeding ahead? The gospel speeding ahead. What do you think he means by that? Maybe he's asking for prayer that the gospel would go out quickly. That it would go everywhere. That it would spread quickly throughout the world. And I think it includes that. But I, but I think it's, it's more than that. I mean, yes, it's true. The gospel exploded onto the scene in Thessalonica in such a way that it made a social impact. It made a difference in society. It caused social upheaval. I wonder if we expect that today, by the way. Do we expect the word of God and the gospel to, to create social upheaval everywhere, to change people so radically, so quickly, that the whole town is stirred up that's what happened in Thessalonica. So I think partly Paul is saying, hey, would you pray that just like happened to you, the gospel would speed ahead and it would explosively go out and it would just transform hearts and minds. I think we need to hear a prayer like this because sometimes we don't expect or anticipate or long for or look for that to happen. We get complacent. We think, oh, the gospel, I'm going to pray. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel? Instead of praying, look, how would you just make your gospel effective? Spread it quickly. Make it speed ahead. And that was Paul's expectation. That was his desire. And he prays for the church to pray that way. 
But I think it's even more than that because the expression that he uses when he says speed ahead, it's, it's literally the phrase run. He's praying here. He says, would you pray for us that the gospel would run ahead? Now, when maybe he was thinking when he was writing this of the Isthmian games that happened in the town of Corinth, because that's probably where he's writing from, the next town over after he had left Thessalonica. He goes to Corinth, and the Isthmian games are headed there. And so maybe he's thinking, how do I want them, how do I want them to pray? I want them to pray that the gospel would run like, like a runner in a race. Run to win. Run ahead. Run powerfully. Run straining forward. Maybe he's thinking about the Olympic torch, that's the torchbearer that ran ahead. He's thinking, let the gospel spread ahead. Or maybe he was thinking about Psalm 147, 15, because it's almost the exact same kind of language that Paul uses when he says in Psalms, he says he sends out his command, talking about God, sends out his command to the earth, and his word runs swiftly. Whenever I think of running ahead, I, I think of a guy named Eric Little. It's from the 1924 Olympics. I know it sounds like a very ancient thing, but the reason why is because it had such an impact on me. When I was nine years old, I watched this, this old movie, which probably half the church here has not even heard of. It's called Chariots of Fire. It was a great movie, and I remember watching that as a nine-year-old, and I was just inspired. And I remember afterwards, as soon as the movie was over, we all practiced running like Eric Little. We were raising our legs up as high as we could go, because in the movie, they do this for some reason. I don't know why, but we, we tried to mimic Eric Little, because we wanted to run fast. We wanted to run like him. It was inspiring. We wanted to win, and it stuck with me. Eric Little, he, he ran to win, and I, I love that picture of him. That's, that's, that's actually him at the Olympics in 1924. He's, he's striving with all he has. He's running ahead. He's speeding ahead in order to beat the competition. And I think that's a sense of running that, that Paul is praying, that the gospel would have that kind of dominating effect. He's, he's wanting them to pray that, that the word of the Lord would run with dominance, that it would run ahead so as to dominate and to beat all competitors, to, to speed ahead of the religions of his day, to, to speed ahead of moralism, to speed ahead of legalism, to speed ahead of Greek philosophy, ahead of the Roman Empire, ahead of syncretism and accommodation, and ahead of every earthly power. Because he realized that's where the power lies in his ministry and in the ministry of the church, was in the powerful Move the work of God. And Paul wants them to pray that the word of the Lord might conquer all and win people over to the Lord. Because he was expecting that to happen. Because it had happened in Thessalonica. And so he's saying, just as it happened among you, I, I, want, I want you to pray that way too for me. And isn't that what we need most today? You want, you want the world to change? You want to see things be different? You want hearts and minds and attitudes to change, we need to pray for the word of the Lord to speed ahead, for his revival to take place. You know, the word of God is powerful. The word of God creates something from nothing. When God spoke, his word sped ahead and, and creation sprang into existence. The word of the Lord is mighty to save. It, it tears down strongholds. He conquers foes. The word of the Lord transforms our thinking. Do we think of God's word that way? Do we pray that way? He asked him to pray that way because the Lord of the Lord is what we need most. Church, I think we need to pray this way. Pray, Lord, would you, 
Would your word speed ahead? Would your word powerfully be at work in the world around us? Lord, would you, would you speed ahead and would your word be honored? Now, when he's saying, would your word be honored as happened among you, what he's talking about is the fact that the Thessalonians, they didn't just hear the word, they actually responded in faith. They believed, they responded with conviction and repentance. And then they started obeying the word. And then they started sharing the word. So he says such that, that all of Macedonia, the whole entire region around them, knew that they had been transformed by God's word because they're responding to his word. They honored the word of the Lord in their lives by putting their faith in it, embracing it, imitating the Lord, it says, and, and telling their faith to everybody who listened. And, and that's the kind of work that we need. We need it in our own lives. We need it in the, in the world around us as well. And so wherever the apostle went, he, he was praying that the Lord might be responded to with faith and conviction and obedience and a few questions come to mind. As I was, I was reading this passage, I was thinking, do, do I pray this way? I want to pray this way. You know, do, do I seek to honor the word of the Lord like the Thessalonians did? Do you seek to pray this way? Do you seek to honor the word of the Lord like this? In faith, with conviction, embracing, spreading? Is the word of the Lord speeding ahead and being honored our desire like the Apostle Paul's desire? Is it your desire? Isn't that what we need today? I, our hope is, as Aaron said, it's not in any of the world systems or any candidate. It's not in, in any of the worldviews that we see around us and the religions of the world. It's, our hope is that people would respond with faith and conviction and obedience and, and even more evangelism. That's what we need. Oh, I pray, Lord, that, that the church would, would give, that, that God would give us in the church this same desire to see the word of the Lord be sped ahead and honored. You know, you know one day we, we will see every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But today we get to pray and long for and ask God to do this. And then he also asked them to pray that gospel hindrances might get be removed. As he goes out, he's aware that we're going to encounter opposition, that he will encounter opposition. So he says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. You might think, well, how is he calling people wicked and evil? What he's saying is that anyone who does not accept Christ, who is opposed to the name of Christ, opposed to the gospel, they're really being controlled by, influenced by wickedness and evil. He says, pray that we might be delivered from wicked and evil men. The mantra that man is basically good is not true. They are wicked and evil men. And, and the Apostle Paul, he says, we need to be delivered from wicked and evil men. And then he explains who they are. He says, for not all have faith. Those who oppose the word of the Lord, who do not have faith, who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's who he's saying. We need to be delivered from any influence that's opposed to the gospel. There's a spiritual battle that's going on. He says, Pray. Do we be delivered? And yet, in the meanwhile, he says, you know, we need to pray because not all have faith and there will be wicked and evil men who oppose us. But he's also wanting to encourage them that, that in their gospel growth, they can have confidence in the Lord. And that's, that's what we need for the gospel growth in our own lives, that we need, we need confidence in the Lord. 
And so that's what he does. He moves from, from pr- asking for prayer for himself to imparting confidence in the Lord because that's what we need. That's what the church then needed. That's what we need now is confidence in the Lord. Not confidence in ourselves and our faithfulness. He says, he says, but not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. That's our hope. The Lord is faithful. Yes, you will be opposed too, church. If you carry the gospel, you will be opposed by wicked and evil men. He says, but the Lord is faithful. And here is the confidence that Paul imparts to the church that we need to hear as well is he will establish you. He will guard you against the evil one. Even even though not all have faith, we can trust that God, the Lord, is faithful. The faithfulness of man can't derail the faithfulness of God to his people and his word. In God's faithfulness, it's actually the theme of the entire Bible. God's word can be trusted from the very beginning to the very end. When he gives his word to Adam and Eve, he's giving his word with the implication that it can be trusted. And then he gives his word throughout the Bible. All of his promises come true all throughout the entire Old and New Testament. Until in Revelation we see that, that God's faithfulness is ultimately shown and proven. The entire Bible speaks of God's faithfulness. That's what Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy. when he's, he's instructing God's people about what they would need to remember as they went into the land of promise, what they would need to keep in mind in order to sustain their own obedience in him. What would sustain their obedience in him is remembering his faithfulness, not theirs, but his faithfulness. That would actually inspire them and motivate them. His faithfulness would motivate them to be faithful. And so he tells them in Deuteronomy 7, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. And he says, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is faithful, and he's faithful to carry out his word. That's what Isaiah prophesied about. It's what God said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 10. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. It goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's very words are active, and he is faithful through his word. They were encountering all kinds of opposition, and Paul's aware of the opposition they were encountering. And he's also aware that they're going to continue to need to grow, and he's going to give them some more commands in chapter 3. But he wants them to know that they can have confidence in the Lord. He will establish you. He will guard you. Now this this word for establishing, it it brings to mind the, the idea of a stone fortress. He will make you strong. He will establish you. He will build you up. He is the one who will be at work. It's God's faithfulness we trust in. I remember... I don't know how many years ago it was now, but when it was popular for a little while for people to put little plaques in front of their homes and say, they would say like the Rawlings family established whatever the year they were married, you know, 1996 for us or whatever that was. So they have the family established. But Paul's saying is, look, we need to look back and see that our hope is not in our establishing ourselves, not in, in, in when we became Christians, but the fact that God is faithful. He says, he'll establish you. He'll strengthen you. He'll make you firm. And you don't need to fear 
carrying out his word. You don't need to fear your own growth because he will guard you against the evil one. It's, it's, it's really, he's promising what God told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. When, when Jesus taught us to pray, he says, lead us not to take temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one, depending on the translation you look at. And so Paul's saying, that prayer that Jesus taught you to pray, you can be confident he's going to answer that prayer. He will establish you. He will guard you from the evil one. He'll keep you ultimately safe. He won't allow his word or his people to fail. And not only is he sure of God guarding them because he's faithful, he's also confident about them because he sees that God's work has, word has been at work in them and will be at work in them. Look in verse 4. He says, and we have confidence in the Lord about you. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and you will do the things that we command. He's about to give them more commands, but he wants them to have confidence that God's at work in them because they already are doing what's been commanded. God is already at work in them. They were demonstrating that they honored God's word by, by doing the things that Paul had commanded them. The grace of God was already at work in their lives. Listen, Christian, are you aware of any area? I want you to think for a second. Are you aware of any area of your life? If you are a Christian, then I believe you can answer this positively. Are you aware of any area of your life where you have, you have grown in your obedience to him? You've grown in seeking to obey him. You've grown in, in, in trying to, in, in seeking to carry out his commands out of a desire to honor him, to love him. He says, well, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing, because you are doing, that you will do the things that we command. He said, I th think about our church. Paul, Paul was very affectionate for the Thessalonians, and he wasn't just distant writing them as an itinerant preacher. He was writing to them as a, as a beloved brother. When I think about our church and I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about all the ways that I'm aware that, that God is at work in you. All the ways that we have confidence in the Lord. As Aaron and I think about you, we have confidence in the Lord about you because you are doing all. You all, all are seeking to do what the Lord has commanded. And because of that, we believe that you will do the things that God commands. The word of the Lord is speeding ahead in the congregation. It is changing lives. It's already sped ahead to overcome false worldviews, to false religions, false beliefs. You aren't living for worldly success. So many of you have come out of legalism and are no longer bound by legalism as if you could earn God's favor anymore and you're living by God's grace. You're not trusting in false religions. There's a work of God in you. So many people are seeking to honor the word of God in obedience to God. What we see is sacrificial living and serving and loving one another. You're giving this, yourself to the things of God. You're living as examples and trusting God. You're, you're choosing to have joy through all kinds of difficulties and circumstances and illnesses. Because you're doing these things, we're confident that, that the Lord is at work in you. Because you're doing these things, He's going to enable you to continue to grow. I want you to notice something else. Paul doesn't just commend them and encourage them, and he points them to their future obedience. He gives them the means and the motivation for their obedience as well. He's about to give them some more commands, but he wants them first to be grounded in the fact that, that God is at work in them and have confidence in God's work in them so that they can respond 
to God. And so he does that by praying for them. In verse five, he says, may the Lord direct your hearts. He, he moves from asking for prayer to confidence about them, to encourage them, and then he prays for them. And he says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. That is his prayer for the church because we need, we need prayer for hearts motivated by God. We need prayer for hearts motivated by God. And that's what Paul does. That's what he prays for. That's what he models. Prayer for hearts that are motivated by God. But not just God generally, but specifically by God's love for us and the steadfastness of Christ. Those are two things that he prays for. That we be motivated by God's love for us and the steadfastness of Christ. I wonder what difference it would make if we were primarily motivated in our obedience to God by God's love. And by Christ's steadfastness. And, 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 and church, I think we need to pray this way. Lord, would, you, would my heart be directed, Lord, to, to your love, to the love of God? Would my heart be directed to the steadfastness of Christ? Would that be my motivation? Would that be what drives me? You know, the heart in the Bible, it's a metaphor for the center of all of our physical and spiritual life. It it refers to our desires, to our affections, the core of who we are, our appetites, our emotions, our passions. And, and what he's saying is, I'm praying that your heart, your, your affections, your appetite, your desires, your motivations, your everything about you would be directed to the love of God. He doesn't pray that they would work harder. He doesn't say, God, I pray that they would just get better. Do better, get better. No, he prays for their motivation that their hearts may be directed to the love of God. Do you see that's what we need as a church? If we want gospel growth in our own lives, what we need is for our hearts to be directed to the love of God. Maybe you're frustrated with your lack of obedience your failures in obedience to God. I know that this past week, there's just, I was just aware of not major things, but just, just things in my life that I'm aware that I, I want to obey God more. I want to love God more. I, I'm aware of areas in need of growth. Maybe, maybe you're at times frustrated with your lack of obedience and lack of growth. Maybe you're aware of that. Here's what we should pray. Lord, would you direct my heart to the love of God? The answer isn't just to work at it more. Because all of our obedience flows from understanding the love of God. That's, that's what our obedience flows from. It, it's motivated and enabled by the love of God. And so Paul says, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. May that be true for you and I as well. May the Lord direct your heart, church, to the love of God. It's, it's God's love that motivates us to live for him, knowing that, that God chose you. Think about this for a minute. What, is, what does God's love mean specifically, practically to me? It means knowing that, that despite the fact that, that once you were alienated from God, you were hostile toward God, you were his enemy, he chose you in love. I don't do that for people I hate, for people I don't like. I want to, I need to, but that's not a natural thing to take people you dislike who are against you, your enemy, and think, I want to love them. I want to show them my love. But God, God knew 
even when we were enemies, he chose to love us. Even when we were actively rebelling against him, God chose to love us. Even when you were selfish and self-serving, when you were making your life all about yourself and what we can do, living for ourselves, God says, I love you. And so God says what motivated him to send his only son was he says, God so loved the world. Who's the world? Those who are dead set against him, those who are hating him, those who are against God. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The eternal son. Think about this. The the eternal son of God who was perfect in every way and who God related to in a perfect relationship with and loved completely and God was completely satisfied in his relationship with the son and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have perfect union and God says, I love these people who are hateful, who've rejected me, who've rebelled against me so much that I'm gonna send the most precious one. And God loved us so much that the Son took on human flesh and he submitted himself to shame, to ridicule, to rejection, to persecution, to opposition, to mocking, to punishment, to the very creatures that he came to save. Oh, that our hearts would be directed to the love of God. And it's not just generically, but God loved you personally and specifically. He called you. If you're a Christian, God has has lovingly called you, drawn you, spoken your name and given you his name. Instead of giving you wrath and anger, he's poured out forgiveness and grace, kindness and patience and mercy. Even now when we we fail and we continue to sin, he, he promises that he'll make us clean. When we confess our sins, he makes us clean. He shows his love to us. He draws us close to himself. He didn't spare his son, but, but how will he also, not with his son, freely give us every good thing? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, that our hearts would be directed to the love of God. When we're tempted to be give up, to, to, may we also be directed, our hearts be directed to the steadfastness of Christ. This is not about our steadfastness. Our gospel growth is, is not hope in our own steadfastness, but it hopes in the steadfastness of Christ. And that's why he's praying that may your hearts be directed to the love of God into the steadfastness of Christ. The steadfastness of Christ that is our sure confidence and our sure hope. Jesus, who perfectly and steadfastly obeyed God in every way, he submitted to the Father perfectly, no matter the temptation, the challenge, the opposition. It says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because he loved us and he was steadfast. Now Jesus, he continues to hold us steadfastly. Consider the steadfastness of Christ to you, for you. Consider the fact that he holds us steadfastly, even when our faith fails and wanes when our strength fails i love there's a song that the gettys wrote there's a i think it's called he will hold me fast and it speaks of this idea of the steadfastness of christ towards us we can share the words i have some of the words on the overheads it says when i fear my faith will fail christ will hold me fast it's his steadfastness When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. 
for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. God direct our hearts. Church, if we want to continue to grow and experience gospel growth, may, may the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And may that be the ongoing motivation as we pursue doing the things that he's commanded. Amen? Let's pray and have a band come up and we'll sing. God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by your great love for us. Jesus, I pray that we would be affected in every way by your steadfastness towards us, your steadfastness for us in our place. And God, I pray that you would give us hope that if your word has changed us and made us alive, that your word can change and make alive anyone. And Lord, would you give us this anticipation, this longing for you to be at work? Would you help us pray like Paul prayed? Lord, would you help us pray with faith? Lord, would you help us pray remembering your love for us? And would you increase our faith, Lord? Would you continue to give gospel growth not only in this church, Lord, but, Lord, in the world around us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, Lord? Would you give your growth, we pray? Would your word speed ahead in our lives and in the lives of those around us? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.